L'audit de vos rêves se trouve déjà près de chez vous. Choisissez le modèle qui vous fait rêver et profitez-en immédiatement. Audi s'engage aujourd'hui à vos côtés avec Audi pour vous. Un ensemble d'offres et de services pour vous aider à mieux repartir. En ce moment, jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer vous sont offerts sur une sélection de modèles disponibles en stock. Découvrez l'ensemble de nos engagements Audi pour vous sur Audi.fr. Offre jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer suivant le premier versement offert. Offre LLD à particulier jusqu'au 30 juin 2020 sur 37 mois et 25 000 km par an maximum sur une sélection de véhicules en stock et si acceptation par Volkswagen Bank. Détail sur Audi.fr. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tez Podagogy podcast. I'm Zofia Niemptis and I'm Deputy Commissioning Editor at Tez. I'm joined today by Joanne Baird, who is Director of the Department of Education and Professor of Educational Assessment at the University of Oxford. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Zofia. Uh, so today we're going to be talking all about exams. Uh, Joanne has done a huge amount of research into the impact of modular and linear GCSEs. So let's start there. Joanne, what have you found? Well, thanks very much for having me. Um, this is a project that we did um, in collaboration with Ofqual, who funded the work. And it's really interesting because they were, wanted to look at the effect of these um, examination reforms on um, how teachers were um, preparing students and also on the effects on the outcomes from the examinations. And they were interested in the economic effects of this and as well as that, how they actually affect our processes and systems. So how were standard setting processes being affected by the structural reforms? So. It's really pretty important uh, to do this because quite often reforms are introduced before the last set of examination reforms have even been implemented, never mind evaluated. So we tend to not gather information about what's happened. Uh, where we have, we talk about a lack of policy memory because we forget that these things have been evaluated and we know something about their effects. And so it's really quite important not only to conduct the research but to document it and share it widely. So I think it's quite an important role that Ofqual have taken here in leading this. Fantastic. Could you give us a brief history of these reforms? Sure. So um, we're talking about GCSE examinations. Obviously, there's a whole range of other levels of examinations where we have modular structures. Um, GCSE was introduced in 1988, so very last century. Um, but what we've seen is that a few modular examinations were piloted and introduced last century and they were very popular particularly in science um, but we saw a reform to A-levels with Curriculum 2000 and modular examinations being introduced then and the reform to the GCSE came later and by 2007 all of the GCSEs were reformed for first teaching in 2009, first examination in 2011 and that's where this project comes in because the coalition government in 2010 signalled that they were unhappy with um, the modular GCSEs, amongst other aspects of the examination system, and wanted to make them all linear exams. Uh, so what did you find? Okay, so we looked at um, the examination outcomes. Now, one of the concerns had been that there was dumbing down with the examinations, and that modular examinations had really played into that. So... For example, if you have linear end-of-course examinations, if a student was taking 10 GCSEs 
they often have two question papers, sometimes more, but let's say they had two question papers as a standard. So over the course of their study, they would take roughly 20 exams at the end of the course. Now, for a modular GCSE, with the reset opportunities that were available, that figure would have been 70 possible examinations. So a worry was that they were actually affecting the educational experiences of students and that they was on, well, Nick Gibb said they were on an examination treadmill. So we were interested in the fact that resets and so on could have actually um, produced much higher results. So we compared the outcomes between modular and linear examinations between 2007 and 2014, which is the, the data set that we looked at. Now, what would your prediction be? What are the outcomes going to be higher? Well, if the, if the coalition were right, we would expect linear to be lower. Yeah. Presumably. And, and largely, I think that's what the project team expected too. And what we found was not that, that when we took into account um, students' prior attainment, which obviously gives us an indication of the ability level of students taking the exam, so it's important to do that. So when we put things like that into the model, and that's the most important um, predictor, we found no differences between linear that's and modular so examination outcomes. At all? Not a significant difference. Wow. So yeah, and the effect sizes are absolutely tiny. So we are pretty confident that they alone were not causing um, increases in outcomes, That's the so modular structure. Yeah, we were absolutely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fascinated by that. Now, one of the um, issues here that people often forget is that, of course, you don't just set exams and the results pop out. You actually have to have a standard setting process. And one of the other changes that came alongside uh, the change to the examination structure was uh, that the um, examinations regulator Ofqual introduced the comparable outcomes approach. So with that they began to monitor uh, the outcomes um, of the examination board's exams in relation to statistical predictions. And what we saw through that process being introduced more systematically because frankly there was a system in place already, it was just that Ofqual began to monitor its use. Um, what we saw was a plateauing of the outcomes in any case. So given the move to linear examinations and the accompanying um, use of comparable outcomes approach by Ofqual, we didn't actually see an increase in examination results once the examinations were linear. So in terms of the attainment gaps uh, in achievement, uh, how do modular and linear exams affect the different groups there? So if you think about the importance of this question, um, it's really surprising that there was very, very little in the, li the literature, in the educational research literature, to help us out with this already. So we were able to analyse the outcome data, looking at whether there was any effect on uh, several attainment gaps. One of the allegations is that, um, in, that you find in the educational research literature is that modular exams might be better for female students. Um, and of course these gender effects are very generalised, so it's not going to be every girl who is expected to do better in a modular system, but it, you might expect small effects by gender. So 
analysing the data, we did not find this. And the subjects we looked at were English, mathematics and science. Um, but the gender gap um, is not affected by the exam route. We also looked at the effect of examination routes um, depending on the, the type of school who were entering the students. And I think people have worried that the private sector might do better out of linear, linear examinations. Again, we didn't find that at all. Um, now, we couldn't there use prior attainment data in our modelling because um, private schools aren't required to take the key stage tests. So the model's not quite as good as, as it is um, for the other attainment gaps that we looked at. But given the data we have, um, it doesn't look like there is an effect there. And so it kind of, you would expect now where I'm leading with this, when you look at socioeconomic attainment gaps, of course um, students from poorer families do worse than the examinations in general, but again that wasn't affected by whether the examinations were modular or linear. So these results really surprised us. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I don't know if this is something that you looked at, but in terms of the effect on the students themselves, sort of psychologically and just in terms of yeah their, their attitude towards the examination was did they did it have an effect yeah it would have been really interesting to be able to um, look at students as part of this study because obviously some of these students will have taken some modular exams and some linear examinations because there's a mixed economy in some years and so on um, however we we didn't talk to students here. We did talk to teachers and we asked them. So we have some sort of second-hand information about um, how they think the examinations were affecting students. And there we got a really rich set of data um, with teachers talking about the kinds of assumptions that I've just been talking to. And given that there was no evidence relating to this, it's not surprising that these kinds of um, issues came up. There was also a worry that... Um, students with special needs might not do so well on the linear exams and frankly a concern that the linear examinations were going to be harder altogether because a lot of the policy rhetoric was about increasing the demands of the examinations so there was a lot of concern about how students were going to prepare for the exams and whether it was going to affect their well-being before the, um, the change to the structure was introduced. We went back and talked to the same teachers, more or less, um, but certainly went back to mainly the same schools um, after the introduction of the linear examinations. And there were still some concerns, um, certainly concerns about students' well-being, but they had become less attached to the change in structure of the examinations. So for some students, um, linear examinations are going to be more stressful, but actually for other groups of students, modular examinations and constant testing will put pressure on them. So teachers were very nuanced about this and about the fact that it's not going to affect everybody in the same way. One of the main things that teachers did say was that they would like a moratorium on examination reform, that they had um, had quite enough of the reforms um, for now. And actually during the period of this research, which went on for several years, uh, the Minister for Education announced that moratorium. The Secretary of State announced the moratorium during this Parliament, so I think they might have some breathing space now. <laughs> that will be a relief to teachers and students alike. Um, and just briefly, like, 
in terms of other systems around the world, uh, where do they sit on the modular linear spectrum? Well, we were really um, keen to find whether we were different or the same as other country systems. Now, I have to say that when you start looking at education systems internationally, it's hard to find two the same, and that also applies to their examination systems. Um, fortunately for us, one of the authors of um, our re project report, Tina Isaacs, had just conducted a review of uh, examination systems in a whole range of countries around the world. So looking at secondary examinations, she found only three countries where they had modular examinations. So one of them is Scotland, near neighbour, um, obviously an excellent system, <laughs> <laughs> given my accent, I have to say that. Um, another was Queensland and in France, they had some modular examinations. Um, Scotland have since, since we um, wrote this, you have to date stamp um, any project where you're talking about um, a country's system because we're not the only place that has constant reform. So since we conducted our research, Scotland actually has changed um, most of their examinations away from a modular to a linear structure. So we were quite unusual in having those modular exams at GCSE. Um, now you can interpret that in different ways, one of which might be that we were leading the world because we're quite often <laughs> distinctive in terms of our reforms. And it was quite striking to us now over 10 years later since the modular examinations were considered and introduced, it was quite striking to us to look back at the policy context mm -hmm. in which that reform was conducted because it is so different from where we are now. And I think that's key, really, um, to all of this evaluation, is to look at what were people trying to achieve when they changed the examinations in that way. And I think the policy objective for modular examinations and linear examinations is, is quite different. What were they? So what, when modular was introduced, what was the idea? So going back to that time, so they were... I think they were agreed by, it was called the Qualifications and Curriculum Authority, I think, at that point, not before off-qual. Um, so going back to 2007, now at that point I um, worked in one of the exam boards. Um, at that time, A-levels had already been made modular. Uh, we had a review being conducted by of 14 to 19 qualifications being conducted by Sir Mike Tomlinson. And they ultimately recommended that we ought to have um, a modular structure of diplomas. Actually, the recommendation was to have these to replace A-levels and GCSEs and have a unified structure that included vocational qualifications. Now, the government rejected that proposal and kept A-levels and GCSEs but introduced diplomas which had quite a short life. They were um, not supported by the coalition government. So the ideas around modularity were ex extreme compared to where we are now. Um, some people talk about uh, a system in which you have a credit framework where you can get credits from your learning across a whole range of personalised curricula. 
So that really begins to break down the qualification structure and really becomes a qualification framework um, approach. Now, the curricular coherence, you have to start worrying about that under those circumstances. We never got to that point, but we did have diplomas where you could use GCSEs as part of the diploma and even parts of GCSEs could be used as credit in diplomas. So we were beginning um, to head in that direction. The policy driver, if you look at um, not just what's happened here in GCSEs, but what's happened in higher education and in vocational education, which have been modularised far in advance of the GCSEs, the policy driver is about widening participation yeah. and really helping people to gain credit for their learning, particularly adult learners who want to return to study um, later. So. That's quite different from a linear exam where the policy driver is really more about the selective function yeah. of examinations. That's, yeah, I mean, it does feel like that would have been a very revolutionary move to get to that completely modular diploma-based place. And it's almost like we got to this halfway house, or maybe less than halfway, quarterway house, and then back again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the linear policy driver was this idea of grades and selection and then presumably access to higher education through that. Yeah, I think so. And you, I think people worried that um, that people didn't deserve the grades that they got, um, that there had been unreliable assessment and that people were playing the game by taking the assessments over and over to try and game the system and get as good results as they could uh, possibly get. And we know that there was a massive amount of multiple entry for the examinations through different exam boards and so on. In one year, I think it's 2012, there were double the number of GCSE maths students um, taking the examinations than there were in the country. So on average, they took them twice. So we also know that some schools, once a student got a grade C, didn't teach them that subject anymore. So there were concerns that it wasn't actually stretching students to their full p potential. Um, the situation that we were in. So there were clear worries about where we had ended up. Absolutely. This is so something we were talking about just before we started recording. Uh, was In my former career as an English teacher, I saw a lot of that gaming of the system. So we had multiple exam board entries. Uh, again, students starting in year nine, sitting GCSEs in year nine. And then if you get the C, it's kind of optional to push on. Um, yeah, really a huge amount of unintended consequences. Is that something else that you touched on on your research at all? Yeah, I mean, when you do research on examination reform or any educational reform, really, if you're going to go and talk to teachers, of course, they're not solely concerned with that. And other things can be much more important. So lots of teachers talk to us about the performance tables. And um, it's quite interesting because it's never what's happening in that school that you're told about, mm. but about <laughs> other schools unfairly gaming the yeah. system. <laughs> so um, we did hear lots about the unfair effects of multiple and early entry um, and about too many resets, the reset culture. Um, so changes were made to the, the performance tables to try to counteract some of those effects. Um, you might remember the Wolf report. I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So that looked at whether the vocational qualifications should have been given the level of credit that they had in the performance tables, and they were removed, actually, mainly, um, from the performance tables. So that stopped things like um, schools entering students for examinations uh, because of the credit that they could get. And also we moved to the in 2016 to the performance progress eight yeah. performance targets which um, don't just focus on grade C. So those were the sorts of shifts that were made to try and counteract some of the what people call unintended consequences um, or maybe unanticipated but you're wondering who's the actor there who, yeah. <laughs> who didn't <laughs> anticipate them or intend them you know and what were the intentions really because we're talking about systems so it's quite hard I think to really think about it in that way. Well, I think this is the problem because in a, on an individual school level you know it's understandable for a head teacher if you can put somebody through a two-day online course that's going to give them credit you can totally see why a head teacher would do that because these performance tables are so important um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one to kind of know where to put the... the Absolutely. Onus. As soon as you set up these metric systems, mm. you are actually um, giving people performance targets, and so they start to play a system. So, is, so has the, the move towards linear cut that, those kinds of issues? Well, certainly, um, in, I don't know that it's the move towards linear examinations altogether, but more the change to performance tables that's that's shifted that. Now, some people say that just shifts the game, of course. Right. So, <laughs> so schools are required to produce um, good student results. There are all sorts of mechanisms set up to make that happen. So, um, it's not it's got to be expected that teachers will try and do that. So, another area. Um, is the, the non-examination but um, assessed areas, so coursework and then what later became controlled assessment. How, how has that changed and yeah, what, what's the landscape uh, in that side of things uh, in this kind of move towards linear? Absolutely, so teachers also talked about that because that was one of the concurrent changes to the exam structure um, and coursework has been a really important aspect of GCSE examinations and in fact I think we have been quite a striking leader if you look internationally at how we've adapted examinations to incorporate that kind of performance um, and there are some subjects where it's absolutely unavoidable um, it's hard to see how you can't have a, a coursework element in things like dance yeah. you know you actually have to have a performance element there a written examination in dance is um, probably something I could do quite well on but <laughs> <laughs> you have to wonder um, how that would translate to performance on Strictly um, so we know of course from research um, conducted in a number of places that uh, the coursework could be cheated and gamed and there was lots of concerns about not only um, students using the internet but about parents actually doing the coursework for students and about teachers giving far too much feedback so that in the end students are getting results for something that's actually not their own learning. So the reduction in coursework I think was um, put in place to counteract these issues because we absolutely need examinations to be fair and uh, reflect students' knowledge.
Okay, so another element here uh, is the financial side of things. So I remember reading um, a while ago about how much money schools were spending on exam entries. So when you've got these schools that are entering students over and over and over, uh, obviously you're paying for each one of those entries, which is a huge financial cost uh, and money that could presumably be used on other useful things. So yeah, what is the, the financial picture now that we're moving away from modular? It's really interesting when you talk to head teachers about the cost of examinations and their budget because it's not something that they typically worry about too much um, because for a start it's necessary, you know, they actually have to have exams, but also because um, what is the alternative to having these examinations and one of the things we found in this research which again was quite surprising was that a reaction to the move to linear examinations meant more mock examinations in schools so there's more teacher assessment so in fact that chews up their teachers time and it's effectively um, a sunk cost obviously the teacher time but um, so the examination budget thing I don't think is so much of a, an issue at a school level but you're quite right you actually have to think about it at a national level is this the best use of our resources and with all of the resets and things that were going on it was actually a more expensive system we also saw that um, the price of examinations increased more than the retail price index um, now exam boards would have to we call it an invest and harvest strategy that they have because they have to invest quite a lot of resources to um, reform examinations and then they have to recoup that investment um, to stay viable over the next few years so um, we did see um, an increase in the individual price of examinations so overall the modular system is more costly to um, the country uh, so you have to wonder whether that's really um, cost effective. Mm. Okay, and then finally, where where do you think we're heading with exams? So we've got a moratorium on examination reform for this parliament. Mm -hmm. The big question really is um, what's going to happen in the next parliament. Now, right through our report, what you see is that we absolutely recognised that evaluating the examination structure really depends on the purpose to which the policy was put in place. So it's really going to depend what the next government is looking for for the examination system. And if we go back to that um, two purposes that I outlined earlier, where they, they're really seeking to widen participation and that plays into the whole um, knowledge economy agenda and um, trying to increase the qualification level of the country, or whether it's the selective function of examinations and the concern about dumbing down of standards that actually wins the day in terms of policy. Thank you ever so much, Joanne. Um, and good luck to all the teachers and students about to enter exam season. We'll be back next time. Mm -hmm.